Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara. I'm very pleased to be in conversation today with Fergus Brooks, Executive Manager in Cyber Resilience and Recovery in the finance industry. This conversation came about because I crossed paths with Fergus in a meeting and really, really liked his perspective on detect, protect versus respond, recover. He made a lot of sense to me. We get to cover some of his insights in this interview, including how to approach the risk equation for cyber, how we've gotten to where we are in terms of spend on defensive cyber. We talk about his time in the insurance industry and how that helped his risk perspective, then into approaching the understanding of impact when it comes to a successful breach with foreseeable maximum loss. Over to the conversation. Welcome to the Get Star Brazilian podcast. I'm Garo Hara. Today, we are joined by Fergus Brooks, who's exec manager in cyber resilience and recovery and finance. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Hi, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. We were just chatting off mic. Uh, we actually met <laughs> like five years ago uh, at a conference where you were giving a talk. So uh, this is a, a long time in the making. Um, I'm very, very glad to have you along today. Thank you. So, uh, Fergus, it'd be great to get a, an understanding. Obviously, you're you know working in finance, and, and part of why I think we clicked on a we were on a, a meeting recently, and I think we were both uh, <laughs> very passionate about this topic. But um, uh, it would be great to hear just how you got to where you are today and your kind of journey into the role you currently have. Yeah, so I started out like many of us. I started out, you know, running around fixing printers and and and, and mice back in the heady days of the '90s and early versions of Windows and those kind of things. And uh, you know, um, when I decided to sort of you know stay with my career in IT, then sort of worked up through you know various various areas of tech of technical support, etc., in servers, and then I moved into networks and management systems and those kind of things. And and like a lot of us, um, once you sort of have you know good skills in these areas, then uh, you, you have a part role in security. Uh, you have a part role in sort of incident planning. And so um, I, um, uh, you know, sort of adopted security and got fairly, uh, you know, started getting some full-time jobs with security in the title and, and that kind of thing. Um, then, um, you know, multiple different jobs, a few startups, a bit of this, a bit of that, some solution architecture work, uh, those kind of things. Then um, I ended up getting a role here in Australia in, uh, in insurance, uh, where essentially I was advising an insurance company. The reason I bring that up is it was, um, and the clients of the insurance companies on on cyber risk and cyber insurance. The reason I bring that up is because that was a bit of a tipping point that's sort of relevant to this conversation and sort of changed the way I look at uh, changed the way I look at risk and impact, which is some of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, and uh, and since then have moved into a, you know an impact related role, working in cyber resilience and recovery, yeah, in the financial services industry. Fantastic. Yeah, like, you, you know, we're definitely going to get into kind of risk. And, and it does seem like, you know, these days, cybersecurity breaches are basically inevitable. You know, we kind of see it every single day in the news. And, and my sense is we kind of need to work as if they're going to happen in any organization. But um, one of the kind of things I want to kind of get into is this idea of like a kind of huge overinvestment sometimes in technologies and approaches that maybe assume that a higher and stronger wall is going to keep the attacks out, but, you know, they don't often cater for that inevitable breach. Do you think that we've actually forgotten a key part of the cyber risk equation? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think um, uh, you know, the, uh, I heard something very interesting yesterday. I was at a, I was at a conference and um, a former CISO of the CIA, Michael Mestrovich, was speaking and uh, he dropped a statistic that I'm not going to forget for a while, which is cybercrime is uh, on its way to becoming the third biggest economy in the world. 
<laughs> which is something that I had to ponder. And when you mentioned, you know, these things aren't going away and they're not going to stop, of course they're not going to stop. It's a it's a business. It's a huge global business. And uh, and certainly over over the lifetime of our careers, we've seen that progress from being random acts of vandalism to being targeted financially based attacks and also nation based states state attacks. So, you know, so they're they're going to keep happening. And the thing is, that the news media and and uh, you know the general fear. Uh, that gets propagated around, um, you know, shows us that people are getting attacked all the time and not people, not organisations that are insecure or have lax security practices. You know, you've had organisations like the NSA uh, in the States actually get get breached, which is an interesting one to itself. So, yeah, that's consistently it's going to keep happening. So I guess in terms of the risk equation, um, and I absolutely do think that we've got, so we've been looking at risk a, a little bit wrong in that, you know, the the, the 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 textbook definition of risk is likelihood times impact um, uh, and I think we've spent a lot more time on likelihood than we have on the impact and let me sort of explain where I think that sort of came from so if we look at um, if we look at um, uh, you know the the defending ourselves against hackers from getting in or, or from bad actors to getting into the network um, sure that will stop attacks. However, as we know, the attacks keep getting in. And when we look at impact, uh, it's a different lens. So it's a different lens as to, um, you know, what exactly is going to happen to us. And I think, you know, um, that the the evolution of how we look at, at, at cyber risk and cyber security is what sort of um, is, is what has, um, you know, we're, we're focusing very much on let's keep the bad people out um, rather than sort of thinking, well, if, you know, we're not always going to be able to keep the bad people out. So let's have a look at what happens when they get in. Um, and that is sort of a lens. Once it's once it's cast over, over cyber risk and you look at cyber risk properly, um, then I think that you get a more balanced view. And also um, you can start to look at some of the things that we're going to talk about in a minute um, that can help to make all sizes of organisations feel... Um, you know, that they're in a better position uh, and that if the worst does happen, that they're going to be able to get through it. Whereas if you focus on the likelihood side of the risk equation uh, and you spend all your time blocking likelihood, you're going to get caught unawares when they do get in and you're going to go, oh, we didn't think they'd get in. We have all the cybersecurity budget in the world. We've spent a lot of money on our defences. We've built beautiful big castles, but somehow the bad people got in and now what do we do? Uh, which hits which hits a lot of organisations, and I've I've worked with a lot of companies, big and small, over the years, where it's it's a very very trying time uh, when the people do get in, and they're like, well, you know, we didn't think about this. So. And and that's a real worry, actually. I think you know I've, I've heard many people talk about the emotional stress and the toil that it takes as the as that you know the WhatsApp message comes through saying, uh, are you aware of the issues? And and people's kind of worlds fall apart, and they don't get any sleep for you know four or five days. Um, you know what, it would be right to kind of roll back a little bit here and, and sort of maybe do a little bit of a history lesson to, I suppose, understand how we got to where we are today. Um, and I think it's fair to say, like, you know, attacks arose nearly as soon as IT emerged and, you know, businesses started kind of adopting IT um, for, for, you know, tool sets and productivity. And I think it's fair to also say that we've seen both the complexity of IT and then in lockstep, the complexity and the cost of protection increase as we've kind of rolled through time. But then we also seem to see the risk is increasing at the same time, right? So it's, it's, it's all kind of counterintuitive. How did we kind of get to where we are today? Mm. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an interesting evolution. It's similar to the evolution of, you know, I, 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 uh, definitely of my career and, and probably somewhat of yours. But, um, uh, you know, it, back in the early 90s, 
Um, you know, the internet wasn't, you know, it was it was in very nascent stages uh, and it wasn't really used. So, so networks were by default sort of enclave secure environments, you know. There, there was no getting in or out of the network. You'd have your local area network, you'd have your wide area networks. These are private connections, uh, et cetera. So your risks were really largely internal, potentially from suppliers uh, and this kind of stuff, but also technology at that stage just wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. You know, you might have a PC on your desk. If you're one of the lucky few, you might have a laptop with a really bad screen. I don't know how anyone <laughs> ever used those kind of things, you know what I mean? But um. But then as we moved further into the 90s and the advent of the internet, we started connecting people up willy-nilly. And, uh, and I put my hand up. I, for, for something I want to come out of the tone of this conversation is that I feel personally responsible here for what we're talking about in that we were running around connecting companies up to the internet for the first time. Uh, and I used to joke with customers saying, well, you know, you know that what you're connecting up to there is the Wild West. And it was like, oh, ha-ha, yeah, it's the Wild West out there, ha-ha. And it, like, it really is. But um, but it wasn't as bad back then for the reasons we talked about before because there wasn't the organised crime aspect. There wasn't the targeted attacks, you know, except really what, we'd, what I'd refer to as digital graffiti on websites and this kind of stuff. Um, but, um, you know, once, you know, the, the, the standard, you know, policy, well, you want to defend yourself from, from attacks from the internet, well, of course, you don't just connect yourself to the internet, you connect yourself to the firewall. You might get more advanced, get intrusion detection systems and this kind of stuff. You might add in other things as things evolved. You know, obviously, we started seeing email-borne threats, and we started seeing services like uh, like Mimecast, for example, that that um, that look at scanning look, look at scanning for malignant traffic in and on the way in, and bad links, and this kind of stuff, which has become essential part of any toolkit, um, uh, any security toolkit. Um, and um, that seemed to be quite good. Okay, we're blocking all of the traffic that's unwanted to come in from the outside. But um, uh, you know, and and we also started looking at insider threats and these kind of things. But it was very, very much about keeping the uh, keeping the bad people out. The other thing that's happened, which I mentioned briefly before, is that we've had this crazy adoption of technology. So if you look at the you know, standard attack vectors, if we like, so how are, the, how are the bad people getting in? So what they're tending to do is they're tending to follow this vulnerability exploit uh, chain, if you like, where you know um, software uh, in some way, shape or form will have a vulnerability, either it's discovered after the fact or it's released with a vulnerability, et cetera, or software, a new version of it will come out and it will need to be patched in order to get rid of the vulnerabilities. And we can see, you know, everyone can see who has an iPhone or an Android phone, everyone can see the constant security updates that they're getting all the time, and that's because new vulnerabilities are discovered. And so these vulnerabilities, um, uh, for a period of time, uh, if the exploit's released before the antivirus signature or before a fix is released, we have what we call a zero-day, or I like to call a zero-hour attack. Now, these things, and we've seen a couple recently, we saw the LogForge one recently, uh, where we literally stopped IT in its tracks globally while everyone yeah. ran around and fixing it because for a window there, all of our defensive systems, um, you know, all, everyone's defensive systems uh, couldn't pick up this vulnerability. So it wouldn't see attackers trying to, trying to get to it. So I guess the point that I'm trying to say is, is that rather than sort of stop and take a break and say, right, let's secure what we've got, 
and let's make sure that everything that we're running is secure and that we're not in this ridiculous um, cycle of patching and updates and patching and updates where there's a period of vulnerability. Um, we've just kept adopting new technology. And I think that that's what's really been driven by end users, but it's also really been driven by, by the needs of businesses. Um, so it's like, I want that shiny new feature. I'm going to have that shiny new feature. Uh, and that's sort of been attracting us into into this. And with and with that, to use your term in lockstep, the the um, um, the uh, defensive capabilities have improved. You know, we've gone from firewalls to next generation firewalls. We've got network behavioural analysis. We've got all sorts of other fancy tools, very advanced security operations centres, uh, all of these kind of things. But still, very very focused on let's keep the bad people from getting in. Uh, and as long as we keep as long as we keep adopting the new technologies and staying in this sort of patch loop, um, then uh, we're going to keep seeing, uh, you know, that, that we have to keep spending on that on that defensive capability. So that's, I think, that's sort of the trajectory as it's come through. And, and it feels kind of like an asymptotic approach, right, to to perfect security. But you'll never ever get there, right? Yeah, and, and you get these diminishing returns as you spend more money. The actual security outcomes get lower and lower as you spend more money, right? To your point, you do the basics really well. Sometimes that's enough. Um, and then you see organizations spending money on really exotic approaches to security, but not really getting the outcomes. And and this is a true story. I might have even told this on the pod before, but um, back in the early 2000s, as you were sort of talking through the kind of history there and the, you know, the Wild West, um, there is also the human error part. And, and I'll put my hand up and say that I was the guy, um, and I'm embarrassed to say this back when I was a developer, um, who set up a... And this is so bad. An anonymous FTP site, so like no no creds required to get to it on a company that I was working for because I needed to to share a data file with one of our customers. Um, set it up thinking, you know, I'll, I'll flick it over. They can just get the file, and then you know, obviously shut down the FTP site. Completely forgot about it. Um, and then the next month, the MD walked into the open office uh, with the um, the bill from the ISP. And uh, he was red-faced and very, very angry. And uh, I instantly, you know, one of those moments where your stomach just falls away and you realize, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I'd forgot to obviously, you know, remove the, um, the FTP connection and uh, whoever they were had started to use it to host movies, uh, like just sort of pirated movies. And our ISP bill was like ferociously high. So I was that guy. Yeah, my apologies to uh, to the world um, for for that. Uh, congratulations! I think you were early into the streaming media industry. <laughs> with oh, like I, I was a I was a victim. I, I didn't even <laughs> I, I wasn't an active participant. It was uh, when I went back to look at it. It was like I, I just started looking through the uh, the folders on the on the uh, the side. I was like, oh, this is not good. But uh, anyway, there you go. Just on that one, I think that another thing is, you know, that's a sign that if something is left vulnerable on the internet, it will be found uh, and it will be exploited, you know, and that's why, you know, some people think that I'm sort of saying, well, you know, like less of a focus on defence. Absolutely, you have to have a focus on defence, but I think there's a part of the equation that we're missing. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree. Um, you know, we, we've sort of talked about it and as you kind of walked us through the, the evolution there, um, I think one of the things I would take from that is there is increased spend uh, for many organizations, but we're seeing the continued breaches. And like, do you think it's actually possible to stop breaches? Like, is that technically a, even a possibility? Um, it, I, I kind of get asked this question all the time, and I think that, um, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think yep. it is. I mean, um, 
there's just too many. There's way, way, way too many variables. So, yes, you've got multiple ingress and egress points. You know, this is the whole reason why the zero trust is another is another thing that um, you know terminology that gets bandied around. But it, you know, at its core, it makes sense. I mean, every single device that connects to your network and everything that you use is a potential ingress point for for issues. Um, and there's so many different types of them. So um, you've also got you know, and and you know, people are always like, oh, you know, so people click the wrong link, you know. And still, a lot of ransomware, a lot of cyber attacks, most cyber attacks are coming through in those kind of in those kind of ways. Someone's accidentally clicked on the wrong link. People say, oh, we. People click on the wrong link, and that you know that means that they don't know what they're doing, and they don't have enough user awareness training. But we've all been in a situation where we're fully stressed. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're trying to manage multiple things. We might be dealing with new systems. I had this happen to me a few years back, where I was dealing with a system that I didn't really understand, and and, and you know clicked click essentially the wrong link. I mean, they, these things can happen. Uh, the other thing is, you know, and this is really starting to come to a, to the forefront. Um, for a lot of organisations now is, you know, the, the supplier landscape. So you've got your staff um, or potentially could be an ingress point through doing the wrong thing but purely by accident, no malicious intent. Then you've got your suppliers who, who have their own problems, their own risks and their own, you know, they, they may be connected or in some way but, you know, um, but they'll definitely have, you know, your contact details in their email contacts which means that you're likely to get the, the ransomware emails or whatever that come from them. Um, but then you've also got malicious intent on the insiders. You've also got nation-state actors. So, and you've also got the third biggest economy or the burgeoning third biggest economy in the world. So I can't, I can't see how the inertia is going to stop. And as I said earlier, if you don't, um, if you don't draw a line in the sand on systems and you keep adopting new technologies, it's, it's a, it's a ripe playing field for the bad actors to be able to find exploits and vulnerabilities and go looking for, um, looking for things of value. Um, which is which is you know which has proven to be a successful business model through extortion um, and theft of theft of data. Yeah, absolutely. You, you remind me, and it kind of harks back to what you said at the start about Bruce Schneier's uh, famous quote about we're forced to trust everybody, but we can't trust anybody. Um, but everything is so connected, um, and I see two kind of parts to the supply chain problem, which is that you know the human trust connection, which is needed. You can't do business without that existing. Um, but it opens up communication channels that are, can be exploited. But then the uh, supply chain, you know, the digital supply chain, where and I think you, you referred to um, you know, Log4j as an example of an open source library, but you know, SolarWinds, you know, that or Kaseya, anywhere where you can see a kind of an upstream attack that gives you a one-to-many um, sort of breach approach. It, it's so incredibly complex, and and short of you know waiting for the updates, which poses a risk in and of itself, um, you're, you're sort of forced to take the updates at face value that they are secure and that they are safe, but, you know, what do you do? Um, so I agree with you, I suppose, is the, the point there. I, I literally cannot see a way to, you know, fully stop breaches. Yeah, I think on that, I think on that SolarWinds one, just because I, I just I just love it. I, I think in terms of like an attack, it was so well thought out. But it is really, really scary when you think about this concept of compromising the update service. So you think you're doing the right thing and then you're also getting an update going in there. But also in terms of the target, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time in networks and network management. Network monitoring tools see all. <laughs> That's what they're designed to do. Network In the SolarWind suite, they have a packet sniffer as part of that suite, which means that unencrypted traffic could just be picked up in plain text coming across the network. So it's like, yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and as long as there's money in it, they're going to be more creative. Yep. 
Yeah, that's it. And and I think about this all, like you said, it's like an industry, right? It's the third biggest economy in the world. And the way I almost see it is like tech platforms in Silicon Valley, which are looking for innovation and new ways to do things. It's a business. They're, they're going to kind of approach it in exactly the same way. And they've got all the time in the world to figure things out. And, you know, vendors like ourselves will always be slightly behind. And that applies to every single vendor because we're waiting for them to think of the new thing. And then we have to figure out how to... Uh, protect against that. So yeah, I don't know how you fix that problem. Um, look, we, you know, we've been talking about breaches here quite a lot. And, and when we think about those, and, and definitely in, in our industry, I feel like we have a tendency to think about cybersecurity first, and then cyber resilience kind of comes after that. You know, to your point, you build the castle walls, but you don't really think about what it means if those walls get breached. Um, here's here's a bit of a curly one, but like before we get into that, how did the, the term cyber actually emerge? Mm. It is a curly one. It's a very good question, and I, I think um, I think uh, you know I've been wondering about this a lot lately. And I think I think cyber on its own has started to develop a little bit of enmity. You know, it just gets bandied around so much. I think that people have sort of been going on oh, cyber this and cyber that. But I think if we go back to back to the start. You know, as I was talking about before. You know, it, it was information IT. We, we worked in IT. Technology is IT, um, and then um, you know we started to see the advent of IT security. And with IT security, you know, came you know this concept of the attackers and the the hackers in hoodies, if you like, mentality and the whole cyber thing. But to me. I was a little kid sitting in front of the television when I came home from school. Cyber to me was a, was a robot on Doctor Who. It was a it was a silver robot. They were quite nasty, if I remember rightly. Um, and there was Cybermen and this kind nice. of stuff. And then and then later on in life, and we sort of start, started to see it creep through. And then later on, um, you know, we also saw you know the William Gibson's Neuromancer um, started to get a lot of airplay, and he started coining the term cyberspace. And this is when we really started to consider things like virtual reality and this kind of stuff. And you had sort of movies like Tron, you know, casting the the digital em- enemy and all this stuff that was just, you know. Com- Fairly unrealistic <laughs> um, going off in there, and, and and at some stage it sort of got banded with cyber. I think the the I did some work with a company who's gone out of business in in Korea. I was installing firewalls for them, amongst other things, and uh, they were called Cyber Patrol. And this this was way back in like 1999 or something like that. And they were called Cyber Patrol, and their concept was that they had IDS system outputs in their cars and these little cars that said cyber patrol so they could run around from building to building and see if there were intrusions and all this kind of stuff it was a great concept but they decided that they needed to have every type of firewall in their infrastructure which just made life extremely difficult for all this kind of stuff but it was that's the first time i really started to see you know cyber become a term and i think cyber's become synonymous with with the hackers in hoodies, with the bad guys, with the organised criminals, with the APT sets and your fuzzy bears and all, all of that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? So, so that's uh, and that's that's where cyber sits. And I think what that has brought along with it is is a tangible baddie for the media to latch onto. Yep. Um, and it's something to you know we we all know that fear sells, and it's something to something to 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 hitch that wagon to, if you like, is the fear of these bad actors going to come and steal your digital children. And I think that, what, you know, and therefore that's cyber. The other thing is also cyber's allowed us to somewhat um, disconnect the concept of IT security or components of IT security um, from the IT component of it, which is the servers, the systems, the, the workstations, the phones, the, the cloud 
based systems and all these kind of things that, that we use, the networks, of course, um, from, from the information technology. And so when we start to look at things like, um, you know, impact, which we'll talk about shortly, but we start to look at things like impact, uh, these are technology assets that are being impacted. These are technology assets that are becoming vulnerable. Um, the security of technology assets uh, is as good as the people who manage them and as good as the people who run them. Um, uh, cyber has become a whole world and it's a, it's a whole industry unto itself, which I've been a part of for, uh, I think, my first title in cyber was about five or six years ago. I had cyber in my title. I was like, oh, I've got cyber. Then someone bought me some Cyberman socks and I wasn't, so, I wasn't, so, I wasn't so sure about it <laughs> if I liked being tagged with the, cyber, with the cyber name. But I think, you know, sometimes I think it can be a little bit of a fugazi uh, and a little bit of a distraction away from what the core problems are and what the core issues are that are, that are facing people. And that sort of goes back with the, wow, the, you know, they've, they've gotten in and now we're in trouble and now we've got a situation that we, that, that, that's going to cost us a lot of money or could potentially un, be unsurvivable. Uh, cyber didn't tell me about that. Cyber told me about keeping the bad people out. So I think cyber is its own world, um, but... Um, Information and IT security and the and the security of the IT systems needs to sit along alongside that, if you like. So it's a it's a it's you know proper security is a is a is a group effort between the cyber teams who are keeping the bad guys out and who are focused on the bad guys and the threats, and those people who are focused on, to your point, resilience, uh, which is not just a cyber thing. Well, so let's let's get into that actually. So you know that that cyber security versus resilience. Like, what are your thoughts of this? You've mentioned things like the risk equation and, and likelihood times impact. Like, let's go through that, like, from your perspective um, and get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so so I think, um, you know, like, and I started doing this. So, so, so what happened when I was, uh, when I was at, um, uh, in the insurance industry, um, and it was just really, really steep learning curve. And I had I had fantastic mentors who were very patient with me in terms of you know they wanted to make sure that I had enough insurance knowledge to be dangerous. I think that was the general joke. Um, but it's but it's a whole new world, um, you know, coming from IT into cyber, and it was really interesting. Sorry, coming from 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 IT security into insurance because um, it was a very different way of looking at things. And obviously we were looking at cyber insurance and, and the, the term was introduced uh, to me quite early on, foreseeable maximum loss. Uh, and I really, I really like the term uh, just because it's got a ring to it, but it's very, very, very bad <laughs> what you're calculating when you're looking at. And it's like, all right, well, so if we take, um, you know, something that can trigger, trigger a policy, so, you know, a ransomware event, for example, um, then... We need to start looking at the quantum of loss. So, for insurance purposes, they'll look at it so that you, they, you know you can work out what sort of how much insurance you need. How much could we potentially lose if we had this kind of incident? You know, if you've got a building, it's pretty easy. If a building burns down, the cost to repair it or the cost to replace it—that's all quite straightforward. Um, uh, ship, same thing. Ship sinks, it's cost to replace it, etc. Uh, in cyber, and the, you know, this has always been said, or cyber risk or insurable cyber risk. Cyber risk is incredibly hard to quantify. Um, and that's because we go back to the to the to what we talked about. Is you've got to go back to the likelihood times the impact. But if we take the likelihood out of the equation and we just look at the impact alone, and there's multiple different things that can go into it. But I would say that in my mind, impact's actually easier, probably easier to calculate than likelihood. Um, we we don't have the data. You know, insurance depends on data, but we don't have the data. We don't have a hundred years of historical data on cyber attack trends and those kind of things to look at likelihood. 
Could it happen? It could happen anytime. How do you put a probability on that? So that's that's an interesting one. But if we look purely at impact, then we can start saying, all right, well, so what's going to happen here? Well, you know, you've got the cost of the cleaner. Um, uh, so you've got incident response costs, you know, incident response management services, whatever you've got. You've got the cost of the cleanup, investigations, forensics, those kind of things. Then you've got um, the uh, business interruption. So, you know, in a case of a ransomware attack or something like that, uh, ransomware or malware, you're going to have multiple systems impacted that you're going to need to rebuild, but you're going to have a loss of services, services to your, to your organisation, to your customers, this kind of stuff. So that's going to go on for a period of time. How long that goes on for is, is, is something that we can calculate it. You know, the organisations know how much money they turn over a day, you know, so, so and if that's impacted, they know how much that, that calculates. And then... You move further into the world of, well, there's also some other things. You've got legal fees. You need to have lawyers involved, especially if there's data involved. Uh, and you might need to report to the to the OIC, as I call the Office of the Information Commissioner or the Privacy Commissioner. I always get in trouble for using that acronym. But um, And then you've also got other things like, um, you know, cost to restore data, all of that kind of stuff, um, maybe system replacement, et cetera, et cetera. And then you move more into the long tail cost. And long tail cost is where we start looking at fines and penalties. I mentioned the privacy commissioner. If you don't notify within 30 days, you're going to get a fine. Um, but you've also got, and there's other regulators out there, depending on what industry you are, who can incur their own fines and penalties. ASIC is not afraid of of, uh, of throwing the book at companies who are who have been negligent and not looking after their cyber affairs if they're not regulated elsewhere. Um, and then you've also got a big problem with data breaches. You've got the long tail of um, of uh, civil action, you know. So so yeah. people, and we see it all the time, these class actions, they're getting past $500, $600 million in settlements uh, in the U.S., uh, for some of the larger ones. So, um, so, you know, I mean, that's not all of them. That's just to give an indication. I usually forget a couple, even though I've recited that list about 400 times. <laughs> but they, um, once they're bundled all together, um, this is a moment, um, you know, when they do it, when an organisation does a risk profiling or they sum all this stuff up, um, it's, it's, it's a good time for the um, CEO and board and maybe the shareholders of a smaller company um, to sit down before they get told what this number might be because <laughs> it's, a, it's a big number. Um, and so they call that the foreseeable maximum loss. And when you start thinking about foreseeable maximum loss, you start thinking about, well, hang on a minute, if they do get in, what are the different, what are the different areas that we can work on in advance? What are the different things that we can do in advance to reduce that impact after the fact? And often they're not, it's not that difficult um, but one of the things that I will say, and I was going to mention it before, is that um, it's very, very subjective when you're looking at impact. Every organisation is going to be different. And when you look at the reduction of impact, every organisation is going to be different. Different, And, and um, you know, at certain, certain times in my life, I would have loved it if there was a product out there that could just help you out <laughs> with reducing an organization's impact. Uh, but it really has to be driven by the organization itself. Um, so the um, where the you know where the IT security industry with, with you know software, defensive software, defensive firewalls, IDS systems and all of this kind of stuff, uh, these things are, are products that can be fit to multiple different organizations and can provide a similar service to multiple organizations. And I guess that's why they've proliferated so much. But in terms of looking at impact, this is something that the organizations have to do. But I really like to start with, um, and a lot of you know my customers over the years have really started, you know, have really liked this. Let's look at the quantum of foreseeable maximum 
loss or just FML for short and see how we can start chipping away at some of those things and uh, hopefully also become a better, you know, a better organisation in the process. Definitely. Is is uh, is it an accident that FML actually means something else as well? Which obviously I, I won't be able to say on this podcast, but one for the uh, <laughs> listeners to Google afterwards. I don't know if that's just a happy coincidence. <laughs> It's a happy coincidence, but they're both pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they certainly are. Um, look, as you're talking through that, um, it sounded similar to a lot of things like FAIR, uh, you know, as a way to kind of do risk analysis and roll up of, you know, that, that sort of quantifiable dollar value of uh, impact for risk. Um, in your industry and, and in, like in your experience over the years, like have you used frameworks like that? Like is, have you just talked through a framework there or is that something you've just learned through kind of your – um, you know, being in the trenches and, and working through this stuff. Yeah, I mean, so fair, fair, fair is great. And a, a friend of mine is the. Uh, I wonder if he's still the chapter head for fair in uh, in Australia. We've had lengthy conversations about the relationship between FML and fair and the way insurance industries look at it and, and this kind of yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the frameworks like that are excellent because you know they they allow a scientific approach uh, and they can also allow benchmarking. Um, yeah, so so and, and that is great. And I think it, probably a good point to say. Here, gather the, you know, there's big organisations with big risk management apparatus, uh, big big budgets, deep pockets, and this kind of stuff. You know, where they can adopt methodologies like FAIR, they can adopt all sorts of things. They can look at specific frameworks. They will have insurance calculations done. They can drive change through the organisation, through risk management, through enterprise risk management. You know, there's a clear channel from senior executives down through to the people in the trenches doing the work, et cetera, et cetera, all in the interests of reducing risk and, and reducing this stuff. And, and, uh, and, and that, you know, that is, that, is, that is underway. I mean, large organisations, insurance companies, I think Allianz said for the first time back, oh, it was about six or seven years and they, when they put cyber risk at the number one risk. Uh, right. that they considered for for all organisations, which, you know, by, okay. by bypassing climate risk, uh, bypassing competition risk, you know, the ones that have always been up the top of the list. Yeah. So so it's there. So, I mean, so organisations, you know, so what I'm saying is large organisations, risk-focused organisations uh, are, are going to always working towards getting better and doing what they can, you know, and, and that's, that's going to be happening. I think once you start getting to what I like to refer to as the big middle, and, you know, in Australia we've got, I uh, some something stupid like ninety three percent of businesses in this country turn over less than three million dollars a year. That's I'm pulling out a couple of fancy stats this this conversation. Yeah. Uh, um, so there's there's a bigger area of organisations that's not so well serviced. They don't have access to big four risk consultants uh, yeah. and these kind of things. Um, where um, and but what they do have is the is the news media and what's been fed at them. Uh, about defences and this kind of stuff and the things that they see advertised. We need firewalls, we need this, we need that, you know, it always needs to be better, antivirus and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, they're less likely to have considered uh, impact, uh, considered foreseeable maximum loss and considered impact. Uh, hence why you get from a lot of smaller, smaller organisations when they have an attack, it's complete bewilderment. Um, whereas uh, I think, you know, the more mature risk management organisations have uh, have gone further down that path. So I think FAIR well, is an excellent framework, but I think probably sits more at the larger end of town for the more risk-aware organisations that are trying to get a really accurate quantum, uh, which is great. But I think what we're talking about here today could sort of be used as a, you know, like a, in a back-of-your-mind approach. Um, what's the impact? What's the reduction on impact that this is going to have? What, what, where is that going to put us in terms of being able to, 
get our business back up and running quickly um, after we have one of these incidents um, with minimum amount of damage. Yeah, I get you. Do you have still got a couple of questions based on what you've said there? Um, I might start with the the actuarial data actually, because I think that's probably a, a, a quicker one. Um, you you know you mentioned that we don't really have the data to understand uh, likelihood, um, which I, I get. Do you see that kind of building up over time, where you know for any individual organization, you know it is throwing a dart and and sort of trying to guess kind of thing based on probabilities? But do you feel like that's getting we're starting to dial that in a little bit better, you know, based on the organizational profile and maybe some even basic auditing. You could maybe get a, a sort of rough idea of, of the likelihood of a, a breach and, you know, and then impact being a separate thing. But, like, do you see that actuarial data improving? Well, it's, it's been a couple of years since I've, out, I've been outside of insurance now and, and you know, the actuarial data I wouldn't have understood <laughs> anyway. Right. I had conversations with, with the actuaries and they sort of look at me with this, like, you are a bit of a cowboy, Fergus-type look on their face. It's <laughs> like, well, I don't understand enough. But, um, uh, the, you know, the claim, you know, definitely claims data from insurance is definitely increasing because we're saying the claims all the time. Um, insurance, cyber insurance has become harder to get because of all the claims. Um, so there's definitely a lot more data have come in since I left the insurance industry and that kind of stuff. And I think we're also seeing with initiatives like the ACSC, um, you know, um, being a central focal point for all sort of breach and cyber attack type information, they're building up quite a lot of data. The, the data is improving. Um, so, yeah, so understanding, uh, and we're also getting better understanding of impact as well. So, yes. so because we're seeing what, what is actually happening and there's some big name, big name events out here. When I talk about those costs of, of, of things coming out, that's coming from actual that's coming from actual attacks that have happened that are well publicized, um, some of which we've had very close to home in the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I think the data is getting better. Um, but still, at the end of the day, because of the number of variables in there and the fact that every single um, employee and supplier is a potential, potential and potentially customers are all potential ingress points for cyber attacks, then, uh, and, and this stuff never sleeps. It's, it's hard to say seasonal, et cetera. We know, for example, that more cyber attacks come around things like Cyber Monday and Black Friday because it's a large online online festival. We know that. Um, but in terms of could I get satisfaction as a small business owner, the chances are I'm not going to get attacked between now and the end of the year. I'm not betting any money on that because <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just don't have the probability. Do you, right. do you see a shift? Because I think there's a a well-understood problem with SMB and probably even into sort of medium-sized enterprises in Australia where, to your point, they will know about defensive stuff and they'll probably do some AV and secure gateway, et cetera, et cetera. But the impact side of things, the resilience side of things isn't really well understood. Do you feel there's a shift happening there? Like the zeitgeist is, is moving towards a, a direction where impact is being thought about by more organizations? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. And again, I was, I was at a conference yesterday, and I've, I've been gauging the waters. You know, COVID didn't really give us a chance to see how you know other people are thinking, but certainly in the last twelve months, I've seen a lot of shift towards, um, you know, towards recovery, recovery planning, um, this kind of things. How do we get our systems back up and running, um, uh, that kind of stuff? And I think, you know, certainly, you know, attendees at this conference were from the from the bigger end of town, uh, but I am seeing a lot more of that. I haven't necessarily seen it being filtering down um, to the medium-sized businesses and the, and okay. the small-sized businesses, the big, the big middle and below at this stage. I think it's very defensive focus. And, you know, as little as... Um, I don't know. As little as six months ago, I, I was in some uh, 
simulation that was being run on a ransomware attack and you know the topic came up of, of all the impacts going in and 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 the person actually said actually said well you know i don't know why we're going into all this detail because we wouldn't be having a ransomware attack if they can't if they can't get in in the first place Ooh. i was like that and that's taking the conversation back 10 years i think <laughs> so so there's a bit of work to be done um i think in terms of in terms of awareness um, and I think that maybe there's not been enough focus for the for the SMEs. And you know, it's it's very easy to go, oh, that's that's a big company. They got attacked and they did this and they did that. You know, I, I had a guy on the phone oh, I was about seven or eight years ago, you know, from a small manufacturing company. They had their own IP based down in Adelaide. Uh, and this guy was the CEO, um, uh, managing director, whatever you want to call him. And uh, he was he was in tears on the phone. He'd had a ransomware attack. Um and um but what had happened was, even though he had a fancy backup management system, they hadn't configured it correctly, and the directory that had a lot of a lot of their CAD drawings and IP was gone, it was gone for good, you know. If and and he was left with the ultimate choice of paying the ransom or not paying the ransom. Now, now this, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but the, but this this um, that level of duress that that individual and his management team was put under, uh, and the situation and circumstances that that put the company in, he had no idea that that was what was going to happen to him. And when and when he found out, it was it was absolutely terrible. And I think, you know, that the, there has to be a bit more awareness uh, that you know it's it's yes, it's a bad thing, but with some forward planning and some thinking and and integrating some of the stuff that we've we've talked about into your security strategy or into your spending strategy, uh, that you can soften the blow um, if if that does happen on the proviso that this is going to happen. <laughs> if we go back to where we started. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it sounds to me like the what you've called out there is the absolute requirement to test any you know plan that you put in place. So, you know, if we do get ransomware, do the backups work and at least that way you figure out, you know, okay, it wasn't it wasn't configured uh correctly. And you know that before the, the worst thing happens. Um you you've sort of started to touch on to the next question and you know, Gartner talk about this idea of um MVC. Uh, minimal viable security is, is what they uh, describe it. So the idea being that organizations spend enough, but they don't overspend on defensive cyber. And, and then the idea is that they balance that with cyber resilience. And to your point, the, the things that you can do to uh, mitigate the impact, um, you know, respond, recover. How, like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, so I mean, I, you introduced me to that Gartner report, and I and, and I've read it and I've read it and extracted it quite a few times. Uh, Garen, thanks for that. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, d- definitely. I mean, I disagree with one of the tenets in that report. In the in the sort of says, you know, think about slashing your defensive spending, you know, down to a minimum defensive spend, yep. you know, based on the fact that they're going to get in. I mean, that sounds nice, but at the end of the day, you still want. It's much better if they don't get in. So you know, I think that everyone should still uh, have a very, very heavy focus on defensive strategies. You know, everything from defensive tools to, you know, to incident response planning to to make to making sure that you are uh, you're ready and you're prepared, and the blast radius isn't going to be too big, and and all of that kind of stuff. I think is is absolutely important. But you know, if you've got you know, when you're talking about limited IT budget, um, then um, yeah, it's 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 a good idea to start looking at how to balance that, you know, rather yep. than sort of shift your spending all the way from over here to over here. Because one of the reasons why we've got a gap is because you focused all the way on one side here, then focusing all the way on the other side, it's going to create a gap in the other area. So don't shift your yep. gaps around. Um, but uh, look at balancing it out. 
Uh, and once you start looking at the lens of impact, and you look at what costs you the most money, can cost you the most customers, can cost you the most reputational damage, like big long-term, long-tail damage to the to the organisation, and start factoring in those risk reductions. And uh, um, you know, but but definitely having a balance, I think, is 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 where organisations should be going, and um, and 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 at all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, Fergus, we basically have hit time, uh, which seems bizarre. feels like we've been talking for only 10 minutes. I'm glad after five years, we finally got to uh, record something uh, together. And hopefully it won't be the last time. I think there's probably plenty more to uh, to talk about here. So if you're up for it, maybe we'll get you back on in a couple of months and, and sort of go uh, next layer down on this conversation. But thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Gary. Always great to chat. Thanks very much. Thanks so much to Fergus for joining us. And as always, thank you for listening to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. Jump into our back catalog of episodes and like, subscribe, and please do leave us a review. For now, stay safe, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.